and welcome to Tea Read Lightly, the weekly, maybe not so weekly, podcast of two dinosaurs talking about books. So shout out to our one fan out there. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's me, T-Rex, from Germany, and over there it's Raptor from Australia. And this week we're talking about A Darker Shade of Magic by Victoria Elizabeth Schwab. Oh, okay. I've just got V.E. Schwab, so... Oh, All right. what it stands for, so I thought I'll go with it. All right. Kel is one of the last Antari, magicians with a rare, coveted ability to travel between parallel Londons, red, grey, white, and once upon a time, black. Kel was raised by the Aranez Red London and officially serves the Marsh... Maresh Empire as an ambassador traveling between the frequently bloody regimes, regime changes in White London and to the court of George III in the dullest of Londons, the one without man- any magic left to see. Unofficially, Kel is a smuggler, servicing people willing to pay for even the slightest glimpse of a world they will never see. It's a defiant hobby with a dangerous consequence, which Kel is now seeing firsthand. After an exchange goes awry... Kel escapes to Grey London and runs into Delilah Bard, a cut purse with lofty aspirations. First she robs him, then saves him from a deadly enemy, and finally forces Kel to spirit her to another world for a proper adventure. Our perilous magic is afoot, and treachery lurks at every turn. To save all the worlds, they must first need to stay alive. I don't know, there's another question there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the greatest again, Very dramatic plug. They're all very dramatic. How this works. Most of the books we read. True. Yeah. Anyway, so, what did you think? Um, I actually really liked this one. Um, there was, a, like, a few... Um, a few passages were got a bit slower, but overall I was really happy with it actually. Okay, what would you give this book as a rating? Um, I'd probably give it a four. Really? Okay, I had a, a bit of a different vibe. I was bored with this book. Um, I thought it was quite slow. And I saw all of the plot points coming, or at least most of the plot points coming, and I can't be bothered to read what I suspect are the sequels, um, simply because eh, I feel like I know exactly what's going to happen and how it goes. If there's three, great. If there's 12, definitely not. I'm not even getting close. No, I think it's probably only three. I look. I didn't even look into it because I was like, "This is standalone enough. I'm not bothering to look any further into this book." Yeah, it, I mean, it, it definitely has enough of an ending that you're not like you don't feel that you have to read the other books as well. It's not yeah. like a dramatic cliffhanger at the end, and you're like, "Shit, now I have to read the next book to know what actually happens." So you can read this one standalone, but it's just uh, I wasn't taken by it. I'll give it a three and a half. It's well written, that's for sure. The English is good. It's quite descriptive. Everything I guess is quite. It's quite visual. Um, 
but just like for an action-driven book, I'm really tired in some points. Hmm. And I have more complaints, but I have to wait till the spoiler section for that. <laughs> okay. Well, should we get into spoilers then? Yes, we should. Okay. We need some kind of we. S- yeah. We need some kind of musical note here. Something yeah. to like separate it. We can put more well, of the theme song in. We have to build our own spoiler button. I mean, put a little bit more of the the theme song in here. And cut this bit out too. It's just at the thirteen minute mark. Um. Oh yeah, I feel like cut in just I don't know some point in the middle of the. What do we do? Uh, intro. That song that we got. Anyway. Okay. Um, <coughs> yes. So, do you want to start voicing your complaints now? I mean, I'm not sure if it's going to give too much of the story away, or are you going to walk okay. by plot by plot? Plot point no, by plot no. point. As long as it fits in later, too. I thought I'd just oh. give you the chance to complain now. I will, I will bitch about it later. Excellent. Um, okay. Well... We start out our book in, uh, I think, the year 18-something? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't actually remember. Uh, It's the reign of King George, right? And I imagine the dull London is supposed to be ours. Um, Hold on, hold on. 1819. 1819. Yeah. So... We start out there, we get introduced to our main protagonist, which is Kel, who has a great fetish for cloaks, and it's a fucking awesome cloak. We have to address that. Yes, the cloak with many sides. It's yeah. reversible, but also reversible, reversible, and reversible, reversible, reversible. He's found yes. he has seven coats in normal rotation. Yeah. From the there one jacket. In, in, there's an infinite number of more, but... He, he just hasn't uses found those seven. Yeah. He hasn't found them all. Yeah, I like the, the, the one chat he has about it later, where he goes, I once saw this this one that looked really old and grubby like a tweed jacket, but I never found it again. Yeah. I, I'm kind of intrigued, but like the coat, I think, is the most interesting part about it. Like I want to know, how did he get this coat? Where did it come from? Who made it? What yeah. is this coat? You need more information on the great code. Yeah. Should check the wiki page. Um, yeah. I am not so. reading any more of this book, but <laughs> anyway. Yes, so he has traveled to Grey London, the dull London, to see King George, yes. who is decrepit and locked in a effectively locked in a room. Yeah, and I mean he's mostly blind at this point. Blind and deaf and just yeah. suffering. And everybody, nobody trusts him with decisions anymore, so they kind of lock him inside. Yeah, well, his son runs the country, mostly. Yeah. And uh, Cal, Cal is there to deliver a message from uh, Red London, I think. Yeah. Um, which is quite short and down to the point of, hope you're doing well, greetings. That's pretty much it. And the king seems slightly disappointed, seeing how he doesn't, I think, get much communication with anyone. So Kel embellishes yeah. a bit to make him feel better. 
Yeah, more than a little bit, I think, really, to start off with. Yeah, pretty much just tell some things that are happening in the middle of He then moves on to speak to the king's son, who seems to be a bit of a dick, and Kel likes to specifically piss off. (laughs) Yes, that's true. And um, he's trying to convince Kel to stay for dinner, and Kel assumes that it's probably because he has some fancy guests invited and wants to show him off like a prized horse. Yeah. And so he he bails and heads to the tavern! Where every good person goes. Yeah, and so there's... Sorry? Yeah. Um, the tavern basically being the place where he doesn't go to get boozed up, but where he goes to trade things that he isn't allowed to trade. Yeah. So he smuggles things between all the dimensions, or across dimension, um, in case that wasn't obvious from the blurb. But, uh, Yeah. To be honest, I thought this would be more of a big deal. And when I read the first blurb, they talked about transporting people on, like, sightseeing ventures, um, which didn't happen in this story, so I was really confused. That's weird. Did they confuse the blurb with another book, or...? No, I I don't think so. It had the right name of all the characters. Okay. Well, somebody fucked up there. Hmm. Alright, so he heads up to the tavern to do his smuggly business. Um, here is where he meets an enthusiastic mag- pseudo-magic user. Yeah, so apparently there are um, collectors who just like to have magical items from other dimensions to, uh, to collect and to be happy to possess them. And then there are people who pretend that they're magical. Or try yeah. to be. Yeah. They're and quite deluded to- and... Kelvin's yeah. are dangerous. Yeah, especially because they're in 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 Grey London you don't have any magic anymore. It's just a a boring old our world sort of setting. There used yeah. to be magic, but there isn't any any longer, and nobody remembers it anymore. And it's just it's pointless to try and become a magician in Grey London. Yeah. So the guy is desperate for some dirt and he says he'll pay Kel anything. And Kel's like, uh you can't pay me anything because, like, I am without need. You offer me nothing exciting. Yeah, um, especially because you can't really use the money from Grey London anywhere except in Grey London. Yeah, and it doesn't really mean anything because he just goes there to talk to the king and the queen and do some trading, and then that's literally it. Yeah. Um, but the guy's pretty insistent, and Kel, like, sends him off with, like, well, if you wait here till whenever I'm back next... Maybe I'll give you some dirt then. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, he, he fucks around with him before a little bit. He, yeah. It's like a children's game with him where, where they can practice their magical affinity to different elements. And he basically goes, move something in this box. And it has uh, water, dirt. Um, what else did it have in it? Um, like fire? Something sand to represent the air. Yeah. Um, Something for fire. Yeah, and some, like, ignition liquid? Yeah. Oil or something. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and basically, of course, the guy can't do anything, and he goes, it's a wicked game, and then Cal, I think, turns the water into ice and basically goes, no, I don't think so. 
Yeah. But then he sends him on on his way being like, yeah, sure, if you're here next time, I'll get you some dirt and kill it. And being like, I mean, sure, why not? It doesn't hurt to get him any, like, dirt. Ma- I don't know what magical dirt is, and it's never explained in the book. Or if it is, I, I completely think, missed it. Um, I think the, the way he described it made more sense later when he was talking about the Thames. The whole... Uh. Um, the whole thing that, that um, like, elements from the magical dimensions, Source. like Red London have yeah. actual magical powers. Like, the Thames is the most potent magical thing in in Red London, so I think that dirt from Red London would also have some potency to it. Yeah, alright. But, yeah. It's yeah, it's not like the random guy can do anything with it, really. No, he's got no ability. Um, so he buggers off, and then Kel runs into our collector, who he was really there to meet. And he trades the children's toy for um, a mechanical music box, like yeah. one that you wind up that plays Which a song. She seems to collect. Yeah. Because they don't have any need for... Um, kind of like mechanical inventions. There's no steampunk era when or you can just like do it with magic. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, if we had magic, do you think we'd done as much with science as we have? I doubt it. Yeah. Eh, magic is just a branch of science anyway. True. Um, yeah, so he he goes back home. Um, or actually, yeah, no, he goes home first to Red London, where we find out that the, the royal family kind of adopted him when he was five. And Yeah, and he's got no distinct memories from before that. Yeah, so one other thing to mention is that the whole magic um, works in part through, um, like, symbols and that sort of stuff. So he, um, Cal is is part of a really um, niche group, rare, almost race. Yeah, but not really, because they seem to pop up. Anywhere. They're basi- basically, bit, they're Anakin like, Skywalkers. All yeah, the midichlorians just... come together and make a magic user to this nth degree, and they are, they have one fully black eye to indicate that they are the balance between magic and life. Um, and it's reminiscent of the, uh, what is it, Antari? Anari? Antari. that's. Antari, cool. I think Anari is a food. Um, yeah, so Cal is Antari, and Antari is at the same time also the the blood magic in them. It's a bit of a overused word. In a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so he's basically pure magic inside a person. Yeah, and that's what this uh, black dimension also used to be. Sorry, black parallel world used yeah. to be um, before it got sealed off to keep its rot um, yeah, contained. Yeah, because the, the magic got so strong in Black London that it took over everything. It, it corrupted people and it just kind of like a plague just spreading through people and they kind of, they were scared that it was starting to flood over into the other Londons so Red London made the decision of sealing it off or sealing itself off from all the worlds. And then the others were forced to 
follow the same. suit, and yeah, all the doors were closed. Yeah, and now only Kel and one other guy who's also an entire yeah. Holland um, can travel between the worlds and basically deliver messages. I don't see what the advantage is is switching between worlds and telling me, giving the other rulers messages because, like, it's not like you can trade inter- interdimensionally, really. No, that's forbidden. Yeah, like, so I don't know. For the royal families, it's, it is forbidden to send anything other than messages. Yeah, so I don't really understand. Um, I have the feeling it's mostly a whole sense of privilege. Like, we are the royal family, we get to talk to other dimensions and nobody else gets to. It seems to be more of a fancy treat. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like a waste of having a magician if they're gone for so long. Yeah. Well, we. Yeah. Well, basically, we we find out that um, that Kel doesn't have any any memories from before he was five because there's a some kind of um, spell mark on his body that represses so, memory. Okay. That's. True. So he doesn't have any memories for before he's five, but the mark doesn't appear until he's eight. Like, he mentions that that it came at a different time. And he, like, when he's 12, he, like, talks a lot about it, and everybody tries to shut him up. Yeah. I do wonder if it's either that, I don't know, certain marks take longer to, like, become visible or some shit, or if it's that he actually did get the mark when he was eight, and it and, wiped out before he was five. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe those memory-repressing things aren't as precise as you would like them to be. I don't know. Possibly. Um, I mean, maybe that maybe that's like a purposeful lead that's supposed to clear up in later books. I don't know. Ugh, I can't be bothered to read any more of the books. I might read the recap. Um, cool. So, excuse me. Kel is somewhat adopted into the royal family. He's not really adopted into the royal family, um, but he is effectively brothers with the prince, despite the fact that the royal parents only kind of see him as a child. I don't think that they have a... They have a good relationship, but they're definitely not parental. There's a lot riding on Kel to be more of a protector than there is to be anything else. I mean, the queen insists that Cal calls her mother and seems pretty affectionately with him. The king uh, seems more like an uncle-nephew sort of situation. Yeah. So it it's a little bit complicated there. And also, he doesn't know where he came from or where his original family is or any of that jazz. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he, gets, he gets back there. He... Tells them he delivered the message and he talks to Rai, his which is his brother. Brother, yeah, who is sounds to be a fun-loving person. Let's call it that. Yeah, he's a bit of a party boy, um, but he's really against Kel breaking the law to like smuggle things between parallel universes and. That I just I find very at odds with the rest of his character. I thought he would be more intrigued by it. But he's yeah. really, like, against it. 
he seems like somebody who like he likes the partying and everything but he's also very much a stickler for certain rules i don't know if that's part of the upbringing as being expected to be a future king or i don't know yeah i don't really understand it either um anyway so they have a little discussion about like Kel shouldn't be doing this and he really needs to stop and Kel kind of like pseudo commits to this being the last one although he um, knows that it's never good there's never going to be a last one he doesn't even yeah. know why he's doing it like he doesn't need the money obviously but yeah he can't stop himself from collecting things and trading things yeah anyway he goes back to his uh, uh suite at the um palace and then immediately like portals himself into a room in a tavern because that's where he prefers to live yeah especially because then he can hide his stash and nobody knows it yeah um uh, then we switch protagonists which was a real jump for me i was not expecting that we didn't yeah i mean in the first blurb that I read, I didn't hear anything about this character, so I was not expecting a perspective change at all, and I found her irritating. I think she's well-written, but I don't like her. Um, yeah. Yeah, as so a we meet uh, Delilah, or Lila, as she likes to be called. Yeah. Um, um, she says Lila, right? Oh, in the, in the audiobook it's, it says Lila, so I'm just presumed. Uh, well, so she makes, in the actual book, she makes a distinction between the accents, and some pronounce it Leela, and some pronounce it Layla, like, or Lila. But anyway, call her whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea what the names. I did the first half of the book, I read the actual copy I have, and then for the last half, I just did the audiobook. Mm. And just yeah whenever i do audiobooks i just presume that they're right <laughs> well probably so we'll go with the audiobook pronunciation then Alrighty. well she um yes she's basically a um what is she like 19 yeah she's not very old she's a little bit younger than kel but not by much yeah so i, I think it says 19 at some point i don't remember she's a basically she's a thief from grey London. She uh, tends to dress up as a man in order to disguise herself and then goes around the posher parts of the city stealing from the wealthy. And she is very quick hands and seems to be very good at what she does. You never know you've been stolen from until you realize what you're missing. Yeah. But also she's got grand dreams of being a pirate. Yes, she likes adventure, and she'd like to have an actual adventure, but she has no money for it. And she seems to be kind of trapped in this cycle of poverty. Yeah, which I imagine would have been so, so many people back then. Yeah, it kind of sucks. Um, Anyway, so she goes on a night on the town. We get... Her stealing from a bunch of people and getting a funky watch. She has a run-in with a police officer who doesn't recognize her as A, being a woman, or B, being the the thief. (laughs) And she takes her smug ass back to her abode 
which is yeah, a room. I kind of find it hard to believe that she can pull off a really um, believable male voice to fool everyone. But it's fine. Look, maybe she's just got a deep voice and the officer mistook her for somebody who's, you know, just coming into puberty as a dude. Maybe, but I mean, she's she's pulling the whole male voice off with everybody. And I think except mm. for Kel, nobody catches on. Well, I mean, if you're not looking for it. Well, maybe. Yeah. So she, yes, she, she gets back to her boat or to the room in a boat. Yeah. Um, and her landlord comes a knocking. Yes. He wants the rent. She doesn't have, or she didn't get enough coin that, that night. And she, um, she doesn't, doesn't want to give him the watch that she, yeah. that she nicked from somebody. And so he tries to rape her, and she and she kills him. Kills him. Yes, good choice there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but that does mean that she then burns down the boat to hide her crimes, which I thought was unnecessary. She also only takes a map and doesn't like check his quarters for more cash or anything like that. Yeah, she's not. She has been the smartest person so far. No, she's. Arrogant and dumb, and it irritates me. But yeah. not because of the writing. I should make that clear. It's well written story. It's the character. Um, yeah, which I mean is fair. It's uh, I don't have an issue with sometimes having characters that are quite simply shit, because that's people for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't like them, but yes. <laughs> but they do exist. Yes. Um. Yeah. So then she goes back to um, to Baron, I think, who, who runs the tavern. Yes. Um, where she used to live beforehand, but she left to find her adventures and clearly didn't find any adventures. And Basically, Baron keeps adopting her as a stray, and she was a moody teenager who walked out on him, and he welcomes her back, and she was, like, desperate not to be in his debt, effectively, but he's not holding any debt against her. He just yeah. wants her to... Yeah, I mean, in the past he's trying to hire her as a barmaid and trying to, like, yeah. give her a life, but it's not exciting for her enough, basically. Yeah, and she says that if she takes the job with him, she's effectively admitting defeat, that this will be her life forever. Yeah, which, I mean, I kind of get that point, but... Yeah. Yes, but also, you can just stay and make some money and then go on to do great, bigger and bigger, better things. Like, yeah. you have to have stable periods, as we both know, in our own lives before you can go off adventuring. <laughs> True. I mean, I imagine it being a bit more difficult back then, but... Oh, the Baron's well. making it so easy for her. <laughs> She's just so, a bitch. Um, I think we also had that scene... Before we get introduced to Lila, I think we also had... Um, the scene of Holland visiting Y and giving him an early birthday present, which was a necklace. Mm. And it's Kel overhears it. Um, no, actually not Kel. One of the guards overhears it. Yes, that they speak to each other like lovers. <laughs> yes. Definitely very intimately. And so we're actually yeah. in the perspective of the guard, right? 
Or yeah. yeah, one of the gods. For this and interaction. Holland, as the magician of the white London, has been sent to, to give him a gift, and Rai's like worried that he smuggled something over the border, and he goes, no, no, I've been given That's money and instruction yeah, to buy you something from here. So it's fine. Yeah. And then he comes out and erases the guard's memory. Yeah, which was a really nifty trick. Um, yes, handy. Yeah, I feel like Kel needed to learn more from this guy. <laughs> Probably. I mean, it's also something worth mentioning that in White London, there are pretty much no rules regarding magic. And in Red London, a lot of things are forbidden, like changing somebody's memory or binding somebody to you or to somebody else or making slaves or anything like that. So you're, there are yeah. some ground rules on how to use your magic, and in White London, anything goes. The stronger yeah, they are, the better you are, because you can so do like whatever the more, you like. Yeah, the more people you have bound to you, the stronger you are, clearly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of resentment, I guess, going on. Yeah. I mean, Holland must see how much better his life would have been if he would have been born in Red London. Yeah, but if he had any kind of control over that, he could just stay. Yeah, which he clearly doesn't. He's returning to White London. We should say he's from White London. Yes. Um, And I look... Later, but remind me, I have a theory about threes. So, this is the thing. Um, okay. Cool. So, Kel goes to take one of the letters to White London. Um, yeah. And they ask him to join them for a drink. And he, knowing it's a bad idea, agrees. Yeah. Um, doesn't also, drink Holland's blood, though, which is what they're drinking. Um, because that's how this place works. I mean, also, they... They make a point of mentioning it, but not properly explaining it, how magic tends to be in the blood, like especially for Antari, their blood holds like magic in a way that water or or earth does. Mm. That's also why they use their own blood to make the doors to travel between the dimensions. Yeah, well, I think it's that life, magic is life and life is magic and it's intertwined in that way. Yeah. And so I think the the white royals also think that by drinking his blood, they somehow get more powerful. And I think they they might, to be honest. Yeah, it's never really said if it does or doesn't, but it's it's clear that they don't give a fuck if it does or doesn't. It's creepy enough for them to do it. But they're not the only people that do that. Everybody in white London drinks blood. Do they? It's the thing that gives them color. Yeah, because... When he um, arrives, he mentions it, and when later in the story he comes back, when he's having that discussion, he talks about, well, okay, whatever. When he's with Leela and they come back, he's like, you need to stay close, like, don't get into a fight, like, these people will drink their bl- drink your blood. And also that the, the people who go to attack them talk about drinking, which one they want to drink. Mm, yeah, all right. Um, must have glossed over that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, I mean, White London does sound like a terrible place to be. It's described as cold and people starving, and it's just a really bleak, bitter place to be. Yeah. 
and and the 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 royals from White London resent the resent Red London quite a bit because they well they they shut the doors on Black London and pretty much yeah. took their source of power which was Black London. Yeah, and Red London has um flourished whereas the other Londons have not. Yeah, I mean Grey London just simply lost and forgot their magic, but White London just turned into like we'll do anything we have to to keep our magic, which did not turn out very well. And it's all yeah. fell into chaos. Basically, it's just the strongest one survives and rules. Yeah, and you would think that that should be Holland, right? If he's this magically gifted. Yeah, sadly though, he got screwed over. So we we, we meet the we meet the the royals. Um, hold on, it was was A names. Um, Astrid and um. Ethos. Something. I think it was Ethos. Um, yeah, yeah, Ethos and Astrid. Um, the the Dane twins. And apparently, every couple of years, there's an uprising, and somebody new takes over the. Um, the royal palace, and they've been in power for a fairly long time now. Yeah, everybody just expects them to die, because they kind of dry out, I think, is the way he describes it in White London. Like, you just get... It's just so taxing to be there, and to be there doing magic, that you just kind of dry out and fade into white. Yeah. So that eventually somebody more powerful comes along and just takes over from you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we get, um, uh, oh, do we also get the, yeah, we get the torture scene here as well. Um, so while Kel is, is getting there and is trying to give the letter he has from Red London to Astrid, um, Athos is somewhere in an off room and is torturing a guy who wasn't bowing deep enough in the streets when he came by. Yeah. That's the um, kind of place. Yeah, he seems to be very much of an in-control need person. Yeah, bit of a control freak, this guy. Yeah, so basically he's torturing him, and then he gives him a, um, a magic mark that binds his actions to his will. Which we are also, at this point it's also written in a way that makes it sound like the same thing has been done to Holland. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's soul he's bound. Received a mark and now has to do anything, everything that Ethos tells him to do. But it sounds that their minds are still free. It's just their bodies that have to. Yeah. Well, he does it as a punishment. Yeah, a way to to torture people, which I mean, is quite the way to torture somebody. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Kel gets drunk. <laughs> yes. Some, like, he knows it's a stupid and bad idea, and he still does it. <laughs> yeah, I found that really irritating. Reckless. Um, but Either be so cocky as to, like, not think it's a bad idea, or be more cautious about it. Yeah. So, he, he gets plastered and somehow still makes it out of there. Um, he's... 
tumbling through the streets and he gets stopped by a woman. Who asks him to take a letter across to her brother. And he's like, how do you even know that your brother is alive but dying on the other side? And she's like, Holland used to take letters for me. Yeah, she she spins him a, a tall and fanciful tale. And even though he's not quite as drunk anymore, he still goes for it. Yeah, he kind of believes takes, her. Yeah, he takes a letter and a box supposedly full of coins. All of her, pay, the payment, yeah. And uh, goes merry on his way. <laughs> you would think he would have learned more caution by now, but... He's drunk. Yeah. So when, when he gets home, he tries to look he, what the payment has been, and he realizes that it's just a broken off stone. No, he gets to the address first, and he's like, something's not right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he wants to deliver it immediately, because he does have a weird feeling about it eventually. Yeah, so he goes to the address, but it's not... There's something off about it, and then yeah, he's standing in the street, and he sees that there's somebody in the building who's clearly not a, a decrepit old man. Yeah, and then I think he makes a run for it. No, the he opens the letter and then somebody sees him because he's in the light of like in the street lamp or something. He's really obviously just standing on the street, and the guy like looks up from the building and sees Kel is just like loitering outside, and then he fucking flees because he's like, oh shit. <laughs> yes, and yeah, eventually he looks he looks at the the box that he wasn't hasn't been able to open before. Um which seems like the first weird clue. Uh, doesn't um, he get back to his house and then they find him and then he realizes it's got a tracking rune on it? I'm, I'm pretty sure he realizes that... Uh, I'm pretty sure that he has the stone before the people attack him. Yeah, but it's the tracking rune is the bit that... Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I mean, he's really fucked from all sides, really. Yeah, um, they break into his, like, secret house, the apartment above the tavern. Um, yes. And then he jumps out the window and goes for a run. And he gets cornered in the street. Um, and the person attacking him turns out to be a royal guard? Mm, I think it wasn't... I think the point was that they weren't a royal guard, but they had the swords that only the royal guards have. Oh, right. Because they have special swords that are made to stop magic when when touching a magician, basically. So if they cut you, then you you can't really perform magic, or you're... You're, you can't yeah. stop the sword with magic as well, right? Yeah, and it, it, it somehow, like, diminishes your power somewhat. Um... So, yeah, basically just to defend the royal family against magicians and yeah. or super strong magicians. And only the royal family has those swords because they're super secretly special made. And so Kel, Kel realizes that... Yeah. <laughs> so Kel realizes that something really fucked up must be going on because these clearly aren't guards, but they have guard swords from somehow and somewhere. Uh, yeah, so he... And they seem to be under some kind of control because they just say, hand over the stone, surrender now, and they say it in a, in a bleak tone and just keep repeating the same line. Yeah. 
Um, but they attack Kel, and Kel goes to defend himself, and the magic's just not working, and also, he's drunk, and can't seemingly fight. He's not a good fighter. Um, you know, I mean, that, anyway, that annoys me, but that aside. I don't know if he's a bad fighter. He is in this instance. He gets beaten by literally everyone all the time. Name an instance where he doesn't get out he doesn't get out of the situation entirely by luck. I mean, I, I wouldn't say luck. He definitely gets injured in every fight, but I find it a bit more realistic than the fight scenes in movies where the superhero never gets hurt at any point and there's But he is he is in the palace, he gets trained with these people. Right? He is effectively there just to protect their son as if he doesn't have some combat training. And I don't mean some, I mean a lot. Yeah, true. But then he's also always attacked by a group of people, seemingly. Or not all the time. These are two. He's attacked by two people here. And then, anyway. So they get the upper hand. That aside. That aside. They get the upper hand, and then somehow... Kel stops them by using the stone. He, instead of having to, like, cast a spell, he just kind of directs his desire, um, and the stone fulfills that desire. Yeah, so he basically holds the stone, he screams stop as the guy is advancing on him on the ground with the sword, and the guy is just frozen in stone. Almost Almost stopping time, effectively. Yeah, which... Pretty cool. Anyway, then Kel uses the magic and the other stone to defeat the other bandit. I don't know what we're calling them. Not guards. Mercenary. Yeah. Um. And what's weird about that is that there's one guy who's like stuck in time, and the other guy becomes like surrounded by ice or something, and he yeah. later shatters. Yeah. That to me was a really weird thing. That they then he shatters. But he's like alive and knows what's going on until he shatters. Yeah, I mean, basically... I mean, it sounds like the the freezing might have just advanced really slowly on the inside until it just, yeah, breaks apart. Yeah. Anyway, so... Kel decides um, to jump from jump out of London, right? He goes to um, Grey London. Yes, he goes to Grey London and he very injured. He's got a stomach wound. He's yeah, basically he's, he's just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. I mean, it is described Using. that. And Tarai heal a lot faster than other people because of the magic in their blood. But, like, there are limitations. <laughs> and he has a big enough wound that it can't just heal up in five minutes, basically. Which yeah. Is um, and he, he goes he and meets, hides in Grey London. Yeah. And he then meets Lila in the, in the streets. Who... Lila just thinks he's really, really drunk because he's stumbling around, not realizing that he's stumbling around because he got a huge wound in his abdomen. And she, like, pretends to 
help him while she's stealing the stone from him, or she's stealing from she his pockets. She steals his pockets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not realizing what she's taking, just taking whatever he has and leaving. And he makes it. Yeah. Oh, so give him her hanky. Sorry. Her, yeah. Um, what is the word that they use? Uh, it's basically a hanky- handkerchief. Um, yeah. And. He, I don't know if anybody else uses the word hanky except Australians. I just thought I would. No, I think only the Australians. Um, anyway, that thing. He, Leela leaves it with him and Kel then uses that to track her to her rooms where she's like gone to like deposit all the stuff and disappointed that all she's found is this black stone. Didn't have a great day. And he, like, magically appears in her room and she's like, holy fuck. And then he <laughs> passes out? Yeah, and that's when she realizes that he's covered in blood and actually, like, probably close to dying. Yeah. But also that he's not really dying and she ties him up to the bed? Or does that happen later? No, she, she ties him up to the bed and she, she takes his coat off and she figures out that it has multiple sides, which I thought was a bit... I don't know, I didn't like that they immediately went with, well, she's so clever that she just stumbles upon me. Because I was like, that's not, I didn't get clever out of that at all. I was like, she's a fucking magic user. There is three Atari out there, or Antari, or whatever they're called, out there. One from every fucking world. This is it. She's the Grey London's version. It's her, somehow, and then she's doing magic with the coat. And I don't need this shit. It was super (laughs) obvious. I didn't think that at all. No. Immediately. Um, anyway, she finds some medicine in his pockets and then feeds it to him. Um, yeah, she finds, like, a paste that she puts onto his wounds. And later on, she he's like, that could have been poison. You can't just drop shit on people. And she's like, well, I, I tried it on, my, on myself first. It seemed fine. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of hilarious, just... <laughs> Yeah. Imagine somebody going, oh, there's a paste. I'll just put it on people. Well, imagine it was like a first aid tin. Yeah. That's, that's fucking awesome. It smelled like healing herbs or something. Um, cool. They're, they have a bit of a witty banter. I'm going to sneeze, sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. You. Yeah, you can cut that bit out. It's the 55-minute mark. Ugh. Jesus. Um, yeah, so they have a bit of back and forth, and I really didn't like that scene. Like, the whole scene. I did not like it. The whole, um... Because she's, like, she has this... She's hiding the stone, and then he, like, figures out where it is, and somehow she knocks him unconscious again? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, um, I, I didn't... Like, it bothered me the way she, she was just so fucking arrogant the whole time. And while she was, um, um, like, he started telling her things and was surprised that she wasn't more, like, unbelieving of it all or more astonished or whatever. Yeah, more, in more disbelief. She, like, immediately is like, all right. Uh, I believe you. Sure, there's magic in multiple Londons. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's actually no has, evidence of this up till this point. Yeah, especially since 
nobody in Grey London still believes in magic or, or knows about it as a fairy tale story. Unless you're in these like weird groups of like either the collectors or the yeah. the enthusiastic people. So she has no knowledge of magic, no inkling of something else being out there, and she just goes, oh yeah, sure, I believe everything you say, that this makes total sense. Yeah, and she doesn't get weirded out by his <laughs> eye. Yes, it's like which normal too. people do. Uh, but, anyway. Um, we um, we get we get some uh, great discussions about the the runes that are on the stone because there's word on the stone that's entirely in Antari the language and which is completely died out except that <coughs> Kel knows like a couple of words because you know magic is Antari and Antari is magic and anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the word written on the stone is Vitara, which is the word magic in the magical language. Yeah, it's it seems a little bit uncreative with the whole, oh yeah, it's magic. And I mean, she even points that out saying, oh, so what, the magic stone is called magic? Wow, creative. Yeah, and look, there, there are some plot points here where I think she the author really bashes you over the head with them. And, like, I understand that this is not... that I have a little bit more insight because I read an absolute fuckton. But I I was just bored. Like, this was, this was too easy. Um, it's well written... The characters are somewhat interesting, but I find most of them to be incredibly arrogant and the story to be too easy. So, you know. Yeah. It's um, yeah, so we we, um, we have that whole scene, and then we... Uh, which also... The part that really made me hate Lila was when she, she started um, realizing what the... The, the stone was all about and all that, mm. and she um, like she Uses takes it, it to make a sword, and yeah, then thinks of creating a sword, and of course it happens, and then she is just being so like juvenile in creating a second cow, just yeah. to taunt cow with it, because she's making the pretend cow start doing a striptease. Yeah, I thought that was and a bit weird. Yeah, and it was so, like, unnecessary and stupid for somebody who's supposed to be, like... Never seen magic, never had any idea about it. Yeah, and with the whole, like, growing up rough, she should have been a lot more mature for 19. Not even more mature, she just should have been... And more, like, smarter in her actions. Yeah, you made it this far, somewhat by yourself, like... And then she goes with the stupid, oh, no, let's make a... Let's make this here's, into a funny Here's me scene. making it very clear that this is something dangerous and, like, I am being open and honest with you in, like, completely sincere, right? Oh, no, here, let me make fun of you because I have the powerful stone now. She's just a fucking idiot. Anyway. Yeah, but I also hated that Cal kept thinking in his head, um, like, the stone takes the energy to make things from the user, yeah. And he's feeding off her energy and she's gonna probably like pass out soon or something and he didn't say it out loud. Like 
those will probably be the only words that could have made her stop what she was doing, like telling her, you realize all the energy you're using for this is your own body's energy. But no, he doesn't tell her that. She, so he just keeps saying, please stop, instead of giving her, like, an incentive. Yeah, tell her why. Like, yeah. Unable so to communicate. Um, yeah, so she creates that cow, and eventually his begging is enough to make her go, yeah, fine, I'll destroy him. And then the, the magic then, copy realizes what she's about to do and tries to fight her. Yes. Which I he thought, does not yes, want to be destroyed. Yes, I thought that was it was a great turn of events. Yeah. So and just he basically attacks her, she drops the stone, Cal grabs the stone and then destroys the, the other Cal with it. Yeah. And but now he has the stone and now he can trap her and basically take he, all he, his things back. He doesn't use the stone, he just uses his normal magic here because he's yeah. A little bit scared of the result of having used the stone before, because it did leave him feeling weirdly cold. Yeah. It, it seems to drain people in a strange way. Yeah. So, alright. Kel makes a break for it. I don't know why he just starts wandering around instead of, like, immediately heading home to people that could help him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really get that one either. <laughs> Having learned um, later that his teacher is in that fucking temple that has a secret basement, like, why did it take you so long to go for help? Why did you wander around Grey London where there is no magic with this hugely magical object not thinking that people could c- pursue you here? It, yeah. Basically, Cal being stupid. And also another <laughs> ridiculous scene of, like, once Lila had been able to free herself she takes the sword that she created and just throws it out of the window realizing that the magic wasn't exactly it's not evil, good like he said but it's smart like the magic is clever and she doesn't like that so she throws it out the window knowing exactly that it's still out there and if it's a smart piece of magical object why would you just throw it into the streets how stupid are you so it immediately gets collected by somebody else. Yeah, and it immediately starts to possess that person, yeah. making him stab himself. And yeah. yeah, kind of infecting him with this with this pure magic. You know, and if that's not an absolute fucking clue that Lila, Lila herself is not is is magical, I don't know what is. Is that immediately we get somebody else whose reaction is completely different from her or Kel's. Yeah. Um, it was too I mean, we also We also get that beginned at some some point before in the story where um, Lila is being, like, they describe how she looks like and everything. And we're being told that one of her eyes is a bit lighter because it's a glass eye. Okay, so... But nothing else reading- is being said about that. When I was reading it, it didn't mention the glass eye. It mentioned her eyes were different colours. And it wasn't until we get back to Red London and we meet Kel's teacher, mm. who was like, oh, does has Kel noticed that you have a glass eye? She's like, oh, nobody notices. Um, that was when I was like, 100%, yeah, that's my confirmation. I don't need anything else. Yeah. As I said, this book bashes you over the head with this information. 
<laughs> it does a bit, yeah. Um, although I didn't, I didn't make the connection with the necklace and rye at the beginning, to be honest. Um, I didn't really either, to be honest. That one I didn't make. But I also wasn't really paying attention. Yeah. Well, we, um, uh, yeah, so the the guys that had been following um, Cal and Red London are, like, coming back to life, sort of zombie, zombie mercenaries coming back. <laughs> The shattered guy remains shattered. The non-shattered guy has yeah. a giant gaping wound, but immediately heads to a brothel, right? <laughs> yes, because, I mean, where else are you going to go? Oh, you get, you're going to pay somebody to touch him all over? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what this magic wants. Um, yeah, so the whole, the whole pure magic starts to just infect people like a plague. Like and it did black wedding. Yeah, I liked it. Um, <sighs> okay. And then we have Cal. Um, no. Um, being in this, yeah, he's still in Grey London. We're in no, we're in Lee Leela's perspective. Yeah. And we run into Holland, and Holland is like, oh yeah, his magic is all over you. <laughs> Which sounds weirdly dirty, even though it's not. Oh, no, it is dirty. Um, yeah, he says, scream for me. And she's like, what? And he's like, scream. She's like, he's not going to come. I've met him, like, twice. <laughs> and he's been a dick both times, even though she's yeah. been the way bigger dick. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You go scream for me. And he starts to torture her, to some extent. Not really that bad. I mean, anyway. you don't really know. Seeing how it's like magical pain inside your head. Yeah. So. Anyway, and then we immediately switch perspectives. Yeah. I mean, she starts screaming and then he makes her scream Kel's name and help me and all that. And at some point the pain is enough for her to just go along with it in the hopes that when he doesn't show up, he'll have to stop eventually. Yeah, but he does show up. Yeah. We'll, We'll switch to Kel, who's like... Oh, great. What sort of trouble is she in now? Um, yeah, he goes to find her, which seems to be easier this time after having done it before. No, he just follows the screaming. Ah, oh, I thought he also used magic. No. Okay. Um, yeah, and then he and Holland get into a fight. He tells Leela to run, which she does, because magical fight and all. Yeah, they're battling it out. Um, yeah, Cal gets wants changed. the stone because he's been the one who orchestrated the whole uh, travel of the stone. It's Which we're not even surprised about. Yeah, although I, I don't get, like, the white um, the white London's royal, like, Astrid wants the stone and Athos. But why would the stone then need to travel from White London all the way to Grey London? I don't know either if it's that they want to spread the virus and they know about it, or if this is Holland's plan to, like, get the stone as far away from Astrid as possible. 
And it's weird because he now wants to take it off Kel with the clear intention of bringing it back to the to the Dane twins. Yeah, so he seems to have some control over what he can and can't do, but if he's been given a direct order, he's been given a direct order. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit confusing, but he's he's now here to bring it back to the to the White Londons, yeah, so that they can use it to be all mighty and powerful. Yeah, and I like this where um. Is it? The, I don't know if it's this fight or the next fight. Well, Holland's like, you haven't had to struggle for anything. You don't know what power is. Magic tries to dominate, and if you don't dominate it, then you can't do anything. This is why you have no control, and you're pathetic. You've never had to fight for anything. You have this weird, cushy life. And he's like, yeah. you think of us as brothers because we're the same. We're not the same. I'm better than you. You're a piece of shit. I love it. <laughs> I mean, right. I, like the, I like the way he described it that Kel asks the magic to do what he wants, which he does when he describes it, and Holland tells the magic what it's supposed to do. Like, it's a big difference of Holland controlling the magic and Kel just asking the magic to please do what he would like. Yeah. Different learning styles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, they fight it out, and in the last moment, Lila comes back and just knocks Holland unconscious from behind. Yeah, and then they put him in the magical handcuffs that uh, Lila makes out of chain out of the with the stone. How does she end yeah. up with the stone? I think he dro- somebody dropped it at some point, and she picks it up. Okay, anyway, so they head back to the stone throw, which is the name of the tavern. Yeah. Um. And yeah, Cal explains more things to Lila. Um, about magic, how it works, who... Yeah, because she still she has once again the stone in her hands and goes, I only give it back to you if you tell me things. Which just... Uh, it made for an annoying conversation point. I don't know. I yeah. Like um, and they agree in the morning to, like, head off back to Kel's world when they've had some rest so that, you know... They can go from there to the white world to the black world and give back, the, put the stone back in the black world because he doesn't know how to destroy it otherwise. Yeah, um, and I mean, I kind of like how they explain that you have to go, like the worlds are in a certain order, mm. like pages laying on top of each other, and you can't just jump from any world to any world. You have to go in order of things. I kind of like that bit. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, but the problem is that Holland stole a token from him um, that would allow him to go to White London, and he needs a, like a piece from every dimension that he wants to go into. So now he needs to find a token from White London in order to go there, and then to yeah. Black London. So, so that's why when he so he's got enough to go home because it's his home, and pretty much everything he has comes from there. So yeah. he can get back to Red London. Um, but then he has to go and take his bit of white London, which he gave to some other vandal, crooked vandal. Um, yeah, and Lila insists on coming with him, um, and he's still insisting that she's human, of course, at this point, um, says that she can't travel through the worlds, and she's like, well, I've got the stone, I'm pretty sure I can do it with that. And he's like, holy uh, shit, I mean, maybe, but also, like, I don't want to risk it, I'll keep an eye on you. <laughs> yeah, but eventually he lets her 
beat him down. She basically goes with the whole, I'd rather die in an exciting world than live in the bleak one I'm in. Yeah, you got to think how gray it must be if it's really that gray. I mean, 1800s London for in, in poverty, pretty gray, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he eventually goes with fine if you want to risk your life for this. Fine. Yeah, but they decide to get some shut-eye and leave in the morning so that they've had a rest. Because for Wait, some that, reason yeah. they're safe let's, at a place that they've already broken in. Anyway. Yeah, let's let's not rest in a castle in Red London. No, no, no. Let's rest here. Yeah. Anyway, so they do leave early in the morning. Um, uh, Lila leaves all of her cash monies behind in an attempt to pay Baron. Yeah. And, which then um, doesn't matter anymore because Holland shows up at her place and kills Baron. And takes the watch because she yes. left the watch as payment. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um. Somebody yeah. else died before this point. Uh, there are a couple of people that died because I was like, the next person we run into is going to die, but not quite. They're going to get to the point of the brink of death and immediately come back. And the fact that I picked this in the story, I was like, there's been too many deaths. Um, getting kind of annoyed. Like, this is boring. People are just dying. I, like, appreciate the efficient efficiency of Holland and, like, getting through all of these things. But, uh, yeah, nah, I, like, I'm bored. And I also know that the next person is going to get to death's door and then survive. And I don't really know how or why, but it's going to be magic. And at that point, I was just like, <laughs> I'm really not giving this book any more attention. Because that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Not sure, honestly. Anyway, they go to Red London. Yeah. It is Bree's birthday, and there is a fucking huge parade. <laughs> but also, yes, everybody knows what Kel looks like. Because you can't celebrate, like, small. Mm-mm. Let's make it big. We're having a party with literally everybody. <laughs> Think... Exactly the plot of Cinderella. That happens as a background story <laughs> in this scene. Literally yes. every girl from like any family ever is invited to this soiree. So that Cal can sneak off with them all. Yeah. I think it's Rhee is supposed to be. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so big party going on and Cal and Lila need to, um, need to find Stay the token. Sick. They need to be undercover and not definitely draw attention to themselves. Which definitely doesn't happen if you're a feared member of the royal family. We should also mention that initially they get separated. Oh, yeah. um, When they they travel back across. Um, They travel back across, but Layla gets separated from Cal and she ends up wandering the marketplace um, by herself and starts trying to steal shit. Which you're like, you fucking idiot. Yeah, I just... Uh, I was I was not that happy with Lila. No, she's a goddamn idiot. Anyway, she also can't speak the language. Only the royals speak English, which is the main language in which this book takes place. But there are other languages. Um, yeah, and there seem to be also, like, different languages in the 
like in each world too. I don't know if it was White London that had like a formal language for the for the royals and the better people and another slang for the, the poor people. Red London definitely has that. White London yeah. doesn't have other classes, so I feel like if they had a class-based language, it would have died out. Yeah, that might have been Red London. Um, Red London definitely yeah. has a split so language. A lot of languages that Lila obviously doesn't speak, which she apparently didn't think about beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she's a fucking idiot. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, they get together, but it basically blows Kel's cover as he comes to her rescue as a royal of the mem- member of the royal family. Um... Anyway, they head off to go and see Fletcher, who is the guy who basically owns a pawn shop. And that is the guy that uh, Kel gave this... A white rook, right? Oh, okay. I was going to say chess piece, but... um, Yeah, yeah, it's a white rook. Rook that they're trying to get back because it's from White London. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have it, have it be the black rook that's from White London, but okay. No, because White London, like, everything kind of dissolves and loses its color, which I think is why it's white. Yeah, but it still would have been fun if it would have been black. No. <laughs> it's not how this story works. Everything is real obvious. I don't think you're getting that. I don't care. Um, okay, so, um, yeah. They go there, they want to get the rook, um... Fletcher sneakily calls the, the palace, right? Mm-hmm. Because fuck you, apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, but when <coughs> they arrive, they're under, a, like, a hiding spell. Uh, they're yeah, hidden. I, yeah, Lila uses the stone to, to do some invisible cool shit. Which is good thinking on her part, finally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then... Even the blood passes through her and lands on the ground. And I say that because once they've immediately arrested Kel, and they do pretty much arrest him and try yeah. and take him back home, um, they kill Fletch. Yeah. And the the guard who kills him clearly seems to be under the same, like, possession. Like the, the, the people who tried to kill Kel before. Yeah, that we saw earlier. Yeah, um, he does it without Lila, thinking and without blinking. Yeah, but Lila does get the rook. Woo! So now she has the rock and the rook. <laughs> the rock and the rook. Yes, please. Yes. perspective. Into the middle of the party. Party, party, We've party. We've got um, our sexually transmitted black disease also happening in the sidelines here. Yes. Just Seriously, it, like it, it, he immediately goes to a brothel, then gives it to the um, lady who works there, and who passes on to all her clients. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's the it's, it's the STD pest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we um, we see the king and queen, right, and they are um, clearly under some also- spell too. Um, that's in, that's in Layla's perspective. That happens later after she gets her suit. Oh, shoot. Um, um, we are in Kel's perspective and we are, 
get we get taken to Ree's bedroom, right? But he gets tied up. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's when we realize that Astrid is in the body of Ree. She's taking possession of his body. Yeah, with the necklace. Which dum mm-hmm. dum dum now makes sense. Um and she's clearly the one who wants the black stone. Because she wants the, the doors back open again, so she can get yeah. some fucking power. Yeah, because they're pretty power-hungry. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, I can see the point of rather wanting to rule over Red London than just White London. Yeah, White London kind of sucks. Um, you have to drink blood to stay alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she wants to open it all and rule over everybody. She reveals that they have the other half of the stone because the stone was fractured. Um, I don't think we yeah. mentioned that. That it's smooth on one side and jagged on the other like it had been split open or split in twine. Um, that is my line. That is not in the book. That line is way better than any of the lines. <laughs> um, yeah, so Athos has the, the other half. And yeah. it needs to be joined in order to, like, use its full potential. Yeah, because it's not definitely super powerful now or anything. No, 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 no. There's there's more fun to be had, clearly. A hundred percent. Let's go do some shit with this stone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, of course, we have Lila coming to an ex-Machina rescue. Uh, kind of. First, we uh, immediately go to... We're in... Lila's perspective, she's like, I need clothes, and I need good clothes. And she, like, walks into a shop. And the lady's like, oh, no, you're friends with Kel. Everything is fine. You'll just pay us back later. <laughs> yeah. Super Which convenient. really worked out for her. I mean, honestly, we need to find more rich people, clearly, that can vouch for our credibility. Yeah. Anyway, so she gets out of that situation with a good pair of boots, a fun hat, a mask... Uh, and then heads off to the palace, where she meets the king and queen. Oh, she steals somebody's invitation first. Because literally yeah. every girl ever has an invitation, and she just has to bump into one with her quick fingers. Yeah, because thieves gonna be thieves. Thieves gonna thief. Um, yeah, so, cool. She's in. Uh, she gets introduced to the king and queen. She's like, they're weird and stuffy and aren't very with it. And you're like, hmm, I wonder why. What could be going on? Um, yeah. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, yeah, yeah. and then we're at the scene. Everything is dramatic. And, yeah, Lola climbs over the balcony to attack Astrid Reese. Astrid Reese. Whatever. <laughs> Reese. Astrid <laughs> The, 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 the hybrid, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, Astrid kind of gives Rai a stomach stabbing. Yeah, she goes to disembowel him, like seppuku style. I think that's the right one. Ritual suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and then she takes the pendant and, like, throws it over the balcony, so literally anybody could pick it up and walk away and be possessed by her. Brilliant. Yeah. Honestly, no. brilliant. It goes on a guard, which handy. Um, yeah, super handy. Then, um, 
Kel's like, well, fuck, now everybody thinks I'm going to have killed my brother. We have to take him with us. We have to heal him. And starts casting healing spells, like, repeatedly. Um, but uh, Re is unconscious. And not yeah. doing well. But they take him with them as they run away. Because now that they've also kidnapped him. They've kidnapped the prince, and also they've definitely been seen with the stabby stabby. Yeah. So, um... Ken has the great idea to just go to his, like, magic school, I guess. Yeah. He goes <laughs> to see his teacher. You know, a person that could have helped him with his problems from the beginning. But, mm, nah. Nah, indeed. Anyway, this is a situation where he dies. But, because magic and the stone, he gets bound to Kel. So that if Kel dies, then they both die. But since Kel lives, he's going to live too. <laughs> true. Winning. So those, all of those people that, you know, definitely needed to die because that's how the story goes. Um, we've now reached the point where, oh, no, too many people have died. Here, let me do this thing so I can save one of the characters. Yeah. Although if Ree had died, I don't know that I would have read the rest of the book. Oh, He's the coolest character in this book. He's mildly sensible and he parties and he's fun. He also True. doesn't look anything like Kel, who I should point out is Ginger. He's a white, <laughs> he's a he's a tubby white Ginger, and everybody else here is like chiseled and tanned and that gorgeous dark hair, brown eyes. Hating on the gingers. Yes. Um, I can guess what color my hair is. <laughs> that aside. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't that invested into why, I have to say. Mm. I think he was the only character I was paying attention to. <laughs> if, if, I don't know. I always, feel, I always thought that Holland was the most interesting character. I could have I spent mean, more yes. time on him. You're not wrong. I would read more about Holland. I want to know what the hell is going on with his life. Um... um yeah, so Rui gets being left behind, pretty much. To heal, because he just came back from the dead. Yeah, also, why you're kind of useless in this mission, so you just, you're stab put. Well, yes, because he nearly died. Yeah. Go and take five. Yeah. Um, so now we have the rook, we have the stone, we have a magical teacher who's like, yeah, cool. Hey, Lila, how about that glass eye? Most people don't notice. She doesn't remember when she lost the eye. It happened when she was a baby. Because, yeah, That's why that, not? Indeed. A lot of people like to steal baby eyes. Just one of them. Just <laughs> one of your baby eyes. And then Clearly give you a very convincing one. replica. Yeah, which apparently never had... Like, I, I don't know how much growing is involved with the eyes, but I would think that a baby glass eye would not necessarily fit an adult. Maybe she got a better one as she grew up, or they got to make it bigger, or he would have thought her face was weirdly lopsided. I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, she, it's not like she has a lot of money lying around to just get some good glass eye replacements. Yeah, but also it doesn't affect her depth perception at all. She's a very good sword fighter, apparently. Yeah, it's it's a bit too convenient. 
Or a knife fighter. She's a good knife fighter. Yeah. Well, you just got to think that there must be something else going on for her to be that good at throwing knives. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Actually, um, let us know. If you have one eye and you're a knife fighter out there, <laughs> I would like to know. How easy or hard is it for you to throw knives? I mean, presumably they've always had one eye, so they wouldn't necessarily know if it's harder or not harder than doing it with two Doesn't eyes. Doesn't it throw out your accuracy for depth perception? Isn't that the whole reason we have two? Yeah, but they're only used to one eye, so they wouldn't know if it's any harder or not. They only know okay, if you're a competitive knife, knife fighter, can you compete with re- regular people? I mean, knife thrower. Regular people. <laughs> just I'm sorry, a- anybody me. out there who throws knives as a hobby, talk to us. Yeah. yeah. Well, one, how? Teach me. But, um... But two, can we take one of your eyes out to see what happens? No, we need somebody who has never had that eye, so we can compare them. Yes. Anyway... Well, this aside, this is completely tangential, and this episode is already long enough. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Rui gets left behind, and they make their way off to White London in order to get... Yeah. So there's catacombs underneath all of the Londons, which apparently match. Great. Yeah. So into the catacombs we go, so that we don't get trapped in a wall if we swap, swap into other Londons. Yeah, I mean, it's convenient that the... The catacombs are the only things that actually match because all the time there are things. Well, out that of place. and the palaces and um, that weird tavern. Yeah. Because <laughs> tavern's gonna be taverns. Tavern's gonna tavern indeed. Yeah. Ugh. So they start doing some traveling around and then Holland just comes in for a show up. He shows up. Going, nope, you won't. And um, pretty much pulls Kel back into Red London, right? Yeah, so um, Lila ends up in White London by herself, being attacked by those men who want to drink her blood. Yeah, because that's not creepy at all. No, that's how they stay alive. (laughs) Just how this works. Anyway, Um, um, so Kel and Holland are fighting it out again. Yes. Um, I do have to say, I... Um, I did like the way that she writes all of the, the fight scenes. Yeah. Because I often find fight scenes in books, a lot of the time I just have no idea what's happening where. I just get really confused. So, I, yeah, I like the way that she wrote them because I, yeah, I, I could follow them, which doesn't happen all the time. There are some people yeah, who I think- write fight scenes really confusing and I just... In the end, I just know who got hurt. I have no idea what happened. I think she does do a pretty good job. She does, like, illustrate what's happening physically quite well. But, um, the character, I don't like any of the characters she wrote except Holland and Reese, who are all side characters. I think both of their mains are shit. Um, maybe that was her, maybe that was on purpose. Possibly. I mean, you can definitely redeem the characters more if you do it this way. Yeah. Um, yes. But so we have some fighty fighty, but Kel has the stone, so obviously he's gonna have a. He tries to. He does actually spend a fair amount of the fight trying not to use it desperately. Yeah. But he's losing because he sucks, and Hol- 
is way more powerful, way more prepared, and just seems to know more than Kel, who is a dumb 20-something who uh, has really done nothing with his life. Um, oh, oh well, that one hit home. What? You've done plenty of things by the time you were 20. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, we basically end with Kel using the stone and winning the upper hand and uh, killing Holland. Don't yeah, but also it seems that Kel, uh, Holland let Kel kill him, that he didn't want to be alive anymore. Yeah, which kind of, you know... How good would Holland have been if he actually was trying to live? That's my real, like, drama. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, at which... At which point in the story was it where we see the actual binding, let's call it rune, on Holland? Um, when he's when they fight him the first time. Really? I mean, he we mentioned it. He mentions it at the he mentions the pendant at uh, the drink fest. Uh, not the pendant, but like the 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 mark on him from Ethos. That comes when yeah we talk about the fight and the pendant and. Stuff like that. Mm, okay, because yeah, so far we only assumed that it was the kind of wound that Athos um, carved into the the disobedient peasant. Yeah, um, to bind them. Yeah, but then it turns out that Holland's mark is is a different one. It like it goes through his whole chest and comes back out on the other side on his back. Yeah. And it's like it's a soul binding. Yeah, basically there's no way of breaking something like that. You can really just kill him. Yes, but I'd like to also say that the soul binding is very similar to what Kel has done with Reese. So, yeah, Holland is not dead. Holland is just severely, severely injured. Um, terribly severely injured. And uh, Kel decides to take him with him into White London so that, you know, he doesn't leave him behind. Yeah. Which I don't understand. I didn't understand this decision at all to take him back to White London. Like, at uh, all. Yeah, no. I mean, it comes in handy later, but I don't think that he was planning. There was no planning involved. He just kind of took him with him. Yeah, he just made it up as he went along. Yeah. So, um... Anyway, to White London! Yeah. Yeah, they, they get to White London, and Kel basically goes up against Athos. Uh, yeah, well, first he bumps back into Leela, who's cutting her way through all of these men. Um. <laughs> yes. Hey, Lila, what you doing? Oh, just killing people? Oh, sweet. That's her thing. Um, yeah. Uh, then they decide to split... Well, they... He takes Holland with him, and they split off to take on a sibling each, right? Yeah, which, I mean, seems like a bad idea, seeing how he has the super powerful stone, but... He also has the magic, and she has literally no magic, and she's going up against one of the greatest magicians in this realm. Yeah. That's but a sure. fight. But she has knives. She's the Hawkeye. 
Um, yes. Clearly with the same unexplained strengths. Look, at least he has bomb arrows that he can shoot at things. Yeah. She's got literally nothing. She can't even throw the knives that well. <laughs> Probably because of the one eye. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, so we uh, we have them split up and we have um, Kel fighting Ethos. Yes, without using the stone's magic to start off with, because we definitely learned that lesson. Uh, yeah, I think Kel trying to prove himself constantly that he's more than the, the stone, but has to realize every single time that everybody's stronger than him, so she, he should just use the fucking stone. <sighs> yes. Um, yeah, uh, so the first thing that Layla does when she gets there, because we're having this huge battle outside, is to run inside. And because none of the guards have specifically been told to keep out her, none of the guards are going to specifically keep out anyone. Yeah, so, it's kind of like they still have normal guard duties, right? To just protect them against invaders, not just against specific people? I guess not. It's it's very convenient. Well, they probably, like, queued them up to defeat Cal, and they just left a gap somewhere, and all of the guards, like, watch her, see her, and don't do anything. Um, yeah. And basically, um, Astrid is still in Red London with her, like, mind... Um, yeah, so she's a little bit dead. Um, but yeah. not really. It's just a useless body, kind of. So Lila yeah. thinks, oh, swell, I'll just... No, we beat that kid first. Um, oh, yeah. So between her and the magical door, Lila finds um, this kid who's actually super powerful. And he's like, you can't come in. <laughs> And he, she's like, what? And he's like, I have to stop you if you come in. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, and they end up having this discussion that the kid gets to the point where it's like, I would rather be dead than what's happening to me right now and how I get used. Uh, it's super depressing. It's, it's quite depressing. Um, and so he agrees to let her kill him um, as long as she makes it quick. Which she does. She's pretty yeah. lenient with that. But uh, that was a, that was heartbreaking. I had some real feels in that that particular scene. Yeah, um, that was not fun. Yeah. Uh, then we arrive in the magical throne room, and Lila immediately goes to throw a knife at Astrid's body. Yeah, which I mean seems like a good thing to go with. I mean, you didn't check for spells. What if the knife like bounced back to immediately where it was thrown from? I don't know. At this point, I would just be panicky that she wakes up any minute. Mm. I think I'd be overexcitedly throwing sharp things as well. Uh, all right. I think she needed to play it smarter. Um, so, yes, there's a, clearly some kind of spell that protects her body. Brilliant. We see it on the ground, all these runes scratched in, and Layla immediately gets to trying to scratch out the runes with her knife. Yeah, which, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I don't understand how that works. Why are the runes on the outside of the spell? But that's 
That's yeah. just a me problem. They, they don't um, explain how it works that well. No. I just feel like that's like a really poor way of doing it. It was like, if you had a spell to trap a demon, but all the runes for that trap were on the inside, and the demon could just like wipe away bits of the spell, Supernatural would have been over so quickly if, you, if they could. <laughs> well, to be fair, there are a couple of weird loopholes and demon traps and supernatural, so let's not get into that one. <laughs> okay, cool. Throne room. Protective <laughs> Yes. Board. Anyway, by the time she finally gets it undone, Astrid wakes up. <laughs> and is super pissed. Yeah. Uh, Which, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Then immediately, like, backhands her and, like, really breaks her and... Uh, then Astrid takes Leela's form and just heads off to try and trick yes. Kel into giving her the stone. Which was a smart idea, I thought. Really smart. Astrid is on point. Astrid, cruel, yeah. but uh, not a dumb fuck like the other two. <laughs> no, she definitely has some smarts in her. I like that. Yeah. Good villain. Good villain. <sighs> Good villain, indeed. Um, cool. Literally, the villains are more exciting in the story. Everybody except our protagonists are interesting. It just did dumb. Um, again, maybe dumb people do get to go on adventures. It's a story about dumb people who finally get adventures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alright, so, cool. Kel back in the middle of this battle. We're yeah. fight, fighty fighty. Ethos is showing off his cool Slytherin skills. Yeah, he makes a sheep snake. And, yeah, which kind of doesn't turn out that great for him, seeing how the snake then kills him. Yeah, so, Kel, um, sorry, uh, what is it, Athos? Yeah. Athos makes a snake, and it's, like, doing its thing, being all slithery, and Kel's like, you know what, you need to fight me mano or mano, you can't beat me with your hands, you gonna use this snake, mm, be a real man, come fight me. And Athos is like, yeah, cool, I can make this go longer. I'm a fighter. I'm going to do that. Hey, snakey boy, disappear. And the snake's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I don't how, do how disappear. Dare you? How dare you? So the snake eats him. Which, I mean, very reasonable reaction. Yeah. Um. And then somehow <laughs> Kel uses the black magic to also disappear the snake. Yeah, he's like super ninja with the the stone all of a sudden. Yeah, he's on board. Um, um, yeah, he. I mean, he uses one of those those swords, right? The the anti magic swords. Oh, possibly, yeah. And yeah, handy, handy. And super then handy. I think we have we have Astrid Incognito coming up. Yeah, and she's like, kill, kill! And he's, like, gone numb from using all of this black magic and just immediately shoots her. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't her, so that's good. <laughs> but also, the real Leela was like, how did you know? And he was just like, I just did. And she was <laughs> like, seriously, how did you know? He was like, I just, I just did. I just did. And she was like, oh, fuck. Um, and then we get pulled into Kel's mind where he battles with the magic. Yeah, so at this point it's 
like the stone trying to like get control, right? Yeah, it well it wants a host in um an Atari so that yeah. it can have more of a source. It's kind of dying off trying to feed on all these different people. Um the humans it's burning through really quickly and the magic users um were better but still not great. Um Yeah. And Atari are kinda of like as pure magic as it gets, so Yeah. Would be your best bet. The magic calls itself Vitari. Vitari. And it tries to crush him within and take over his body. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we have, like, Cal fighting in his mind. Yes, it's a battle of wills, right? Because yeah. you have to be able to command the magic. Holland was right all along! Um, you don't ask it what to do, you tell it what to do. Uh, yeah, so Kel eventually gets to the fucking point. Mm. Uh, he uses the we... power of the stone against the stone to tell it to stop. Uses the big magic word of stop. Um, yeah. And this also stops the black magic sex plague in <laughs> Red London. Yes. And he found... everybody... Yeah, everybody who's had it antibiotic. Yeah. But um, everybody who had black magic dies. Yeah. Which um, just leaves a lot of dead people. Yeah. Got really far. Um, I hope it also like cured syphilis. <laughs> I don't know if he went that far. Ah, rude. Um. Anyway, so Holland is not dead. Uh, he's still kind of breathing. And bleeding a bit. But not dead. Not conscious, but not dead. So he's definitely going to come back in a later book after he's given the power of the stone. Because Kel gives him the stone. Opens a portal to the black world. Pushes him in and he's just like, and, I, I'm out, bitches. And that's the whole part that I don't get. Like, Athos is dead now. Which means that Holland is now free and can actually be his own person. So why not at least seeing how rare Atari are, why not just give him the benefit of the doubt and see if he can be a better person now that he's free to do what he wants? Yeah, why didn't he just throw the stone in? Yeah, and let Holland stay in Red London and actually have a life that's not just suffering. Or in White London, there's about to be a huge power vacuum. He's killed off all of the leaders. Yeah, although it sounds like life in White London, even at the top, is still not a great life. No, it's not, but a, b- a bunch of people are about to try and uprise and take over. All of those guards now no longer have anyone binding them to be there. What the fuck yeah. are they going to do? Yeah, so he just goes with the hole and clearly has to be the bad guy, so we'll just throw him into Black London. Asshole. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, so they nope back to Red London and deal with all of the fact that, you know... A bunch of people die. The Queen, King, and Reese were all being possessed. And a bunch of the guards were being possessed. And, um... Yeah. Everybody's real iffy about what's happening to Reese because they still think that Kel is the bad guy. Yeah. Nobody's a big fan of kidnapping the prince, which he did. Um, anyway, but Reese gets better. He, like, has a real flirt with 
Leah. So, you know, that's going to be a plot point later when she has to choose between the two of them. <laughs> um, anyway, Leah does want to go home, but she takes the reward uh, for helping everybody and goes off to buy a ship. Because yes. she's going to be a um, Which I like. I like that she wasn't, like, staying with the guys. If the- you wouldn't take the opportunity to try and learn magic. You, that's already been floated. Why is she not doing that? Anyway. Yeah, but I mean, I like it better than the, the plot point of just staying for a stupid love triangle or something. Okay. She's like, no, I'm no. going to be a fucking pirate, so I'm leaving to be a pirate now. Thank you. Yeah, but if you were a pirate who had magical powers, would that not be better than just being a pirate? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe she isn't just that interested in the magic. Mm, she's got to be interested in magic. She's seen what, it done, what it's done, and she had tons of fun with that stone. Yeah, maybe it kind of put her off, too, seeing how the stone turned out to be. <laughs> well, she knew it was bad from the get-go. She did it anyway. Mm, yeah. So, basically, she's choosing adventure over anything else. Yeah, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. I just feel like she could have had more adventures if she also knew magic. She would be more unstoppable. Yeah. But clearly she isn't interested in that. At least not now. Maybe in the other books she will become, like, the super interior or whatever. Yeah. I also, we didn't mention this at all, but Kel's name is because the initials on his knife that he has are KL. Yes. He's had this knife his whole life. He doesn't know where the initials came from. He can't remember his own name. Everybody just calls him Kel. Yeah. Which, I mean... KL. He has the same name as Superman. <laughs> yes. Also, there, like, whenever I hear the word Cal, I had to think of the Cal from um, uh, that other book series, who basically is a torturous, horrible person. I need more to go on than this. I I don't remember which Cal we're talking about. Um, it's um. Win- winter shield winter winter be my shield something like that something is this one that we've read i don't think so yeah this doesn't sound familiar to me i don't know it's it's from some Aust- australian author too i think um but yeah it, there's a cow in there and he's basically a torturing sadistic monster so this isn't a mutant chronicles or anything like that nah cool all right, well, yeah, I'm still going to stick with it. Three. Three for this story. Most Less so because of the writing style and more so because I just hate the main characters. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll keep it the four. Like, I definitely had angry moments with some of the characters and some of the situations, but I still weirdly enjoyed myself. Uh, look, I, I didn't have... It wasn't too much drama reading the book. It wasn't bad. Um, it's more so that I was, I picked all of the plot points and I thought the characters were dumb. <laughs> that they couldn't, it wasn't even that they couldn't make the same leaps as me, as that they, like, Kel's inner monologue was doing the opposite of what he was doing. Like, he was telling him one thing and he was like, nah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I just didn't see it that much. 
that whole drinking scene where he's like, yeah, no, I shouldn't be doing this. This was all a mistake. Yeah, that whole scene, I thought that maybe one of the, the Dane twins was, like, controlling him with magic or something, because it seemed like like something was going on there, but maybe... Uh, I was also later on debating of maybe it was Holland who was making more pliable to the alcohol so that the woman later could give him the letter. I mean, I think that was, the was plan was actually... to get him drunk to take the letter, but every other plot point has been, like, bashing you over the head with it. So I, like, I can't fathom why there would be some subtlety here. Yeah, honestly, I have no idea. But, yeah, it wasn't a bad read. I definitely yeah, like her bad. writing style. Um, I think she did other, um, she did other like trilogies and stuff as well, so maybe one of her other stories might be a bit. Um, I should point out that most people rate book two and three higher than they rate book one. We're talking like most of them are four point four and a half to five stars, and book one was only three, three and a half stars. Okay. So maybe she grows with the story. As her, like, like, writing style evolves. you promised for, for Mistborn? Sorry? Like, uh, what you promised for Mistborn? Yeah. Being better in the later books? Well, well I think that's true of Harry Potter as well. She, J.K. Rowling really grows as she writes. Um, but also, Mistborn's fucking awesome. Have you read it yet? I mean, obviously, with all the this, time I, mean, I have this... on my hand, I've read all the second books from our trilogies. No, of course not. I, I barely managed to read the books that we discuss for the podcast. Fair. I, I read an extra romance time. book this week. Yeah, I, I do not have the time for that. Eh, happens. Alright, so, that's the end. What are we reading next week? Um, I don't know, it's your choice next. Yeah, it's the f- so the book is the first of the Song of the Lioness series. Um, by Tamora Pierce, and it's Alana, the first adventure, I believe is what it's called. Okay. Hang on, I've got it right here. Alana, yes, the first adventure. Yes, nailed it. So this is one of the very first books that I read that inspired me to be the knight I am today. Okay, well, this will be interesting then. Come back oh, next I hope week so. to let us see what Raptor's psychology has to <laughs> Yeah, alright. Bye!